0: Right, we're yeah. still in Nauvoo, sections one hundred and twenty-five to one hundred and twenty-eight. We're
1: yeah. getting somewhere. A lot of good stuff in here. Importance of courage and balancing our kind of secular and religious responsibilities.
0: Yeah, a little more instruction on baptisms for the dead.
1: Yeah. Uh, so welcome. Before we get into our discussion, should we follow up on what we read?
0: Yeah, let's do it. So today we're studying sections one hundred and twenty-five to one hundred and twenty-eight of the Doctrine and Covenants. Brigham Young has now returned from his mission and he's counseled to take care of his family.
1: Mm -hmm. Joseph Smith provides encouragement amid the perils the saints are facing and the Lord instructs the saints to continue building temples.
0: And with that, the Lord is also going to continue to instruct them regarding baptisms for the dead. And he's going to teach the principle of they without us cannot be made perfect. Mm
1: -hmm. So today we're going to focus our discussion on three topics. The first uh, relates to this idea of our dependence on one another when it comes to salvation, specifically doing work for the dead in our temples. The other is the importance of courage. And the third is balancing the gospel with life's commitments.
0: So in order to help us to dive deeper into these scriptures and especially these topics, we have invited our wonderful guest today, Carol Costley. Carol, would you meet us up here? Me too. We're really excited. It's good to be here.
1: So Carol, you are on the General Young Women's Board of the church. You also have a master's in social work from BYU. You were uh, a CEO of a nonprofit organization, and you currently work as a therapist helping addicts uh, in their recovery, correct? Yes,
2: that's correct, yes.
1: Excellent. So we're, we're really excited to have you here today. I'm wondering, uh, before we get into our discussion, can you tell us a little bit about how you became a member of the Young Women's uh, Board?
2: Well, um, it was at a really interesting time, actually. One of my children was really struggling with feeling like she fit in, and we were watching General Conference. It was April 2018. And she kept saying, you know, mom, there's nobody up there that looks like me. And, and I was trying really hard to find someone that looked like her. And I said, oh, look, there's this that lady right there in the choir. And she just says, oh, mom, you know what I mean. <laughs> and I really was frustrated by that feeling that she had. And I wanted to help her, but I didn't know how. And I remember I went to my closet and I said a prayer. We came back and continued to watch the session. And that's when Sister Craven was called up, and my girls got so excited knowing that someone that they knew would be a part of the General Young Women Board. And I remember receiving an invitation to um, participate in a focus group, and so I went and was able to share some of my daughter's feelings and experiences in the Young Women's Programs. And a few weeks later, I got a call to come down to the administration building downtown, and... I received my call then. Mm-hmm. And so that was just a, a very sweet experience for me mm-hmm. and an answer to a prayer in a way that I never thought would be answered. The influence that you're having is mm-hmm. it's phenomenal, so thank you. It's been a great experience.
1: Okay. So before we get into our discussion, I'm wondering were there anything in these chapters that kind of, uh, or sections that jumped out to you as especially meaningful or significant? As I was reading about Joseph Smith mm-hmm. and some
2: of the struggles and challenges that he faced. The adversity was so strong and so scary. I put myself in his shoes trying to understand what I would do if I was being accused of things that were not true. I just don't know that I could have stood up and been as valiant as he was during that process. And that's what really stood out to me, is that amidst adversity, he did not waver. Mm -hmm. He did not doubt. Mm -hmm. And he did not fear. Excellent. Should we talk history first?
1: Yeah, give us a little context.
0: So... Joseph Smith has um, been in Liberty Jail. He's now left. We see section 125 just briefly. They're trying to find a place to, to live. 126, we'll talk about a little bit more, but Brigham Young has now returned home from his mission, and he's receiving direction from the Lord about his family. 127 and 128, again, are very much temple sections of the Doctrine and Covenants, and so they help us understand the importance of the salvation for the dead and, and caring for those who have passed beyond the veil.
1: As I was reading through this, one of the verses that stuck out to me is in section 128, verse 15. And specifically this phrase towards the end, for their salvation is necessary and essential to our salvation. And this is where we get this idea of communal salvation, how we're dependent on one another for salvation. Why is it the case that our ancestors, that those who have passed on, that their salvation is necessary and essential to our salvation? What exactly does that mean? Yeah, Weston. I think
2: it's just lots of things in God's plan is looking outwards towards other people, and especially since, you know, family is so central to his plan. He wants us to go beyond just our own little sphere of, like, taking care of ourselves, I'm going to ensure my own salvation, but rather he wants us to look towards our ancestors to, like, link all those different generations so that we can feel more like a, a big family of God.
1: Excellent. Kind of just building off what Weston said, I mean, if you think about what salvation is, salvation is essentially to, it's not to live in a certain place so much as it is is to be like God. And if we ask ourselves, how is God? Uh, Take this to scripture. This is my work and my glory to bring me past the immortality and eternal life of, of men and women. 2 Nephi 2.26, the Lord doeth nothing save it be for the benefit of the world, for he loveth the world. As I read these verses and I ask, what is salvation like? What is God like, and what does it mean to be like God? This idea of turning to our ancestors is really enacting what it means to be like God, uh, to turn outward and to work towards the salvation of our fellow human beings. Carol, any additional thoughts on that?
2: I think about service and just seeing a need and pursuing a need. I remember when I was looking for my ancestors, and they're from Jamaica and um, also England. And I remember feeling really frustrated because of the record keeping there. Mm -hmm. And I remember just struggling, and I went to a neighbor, and she helped me find uh, my grandmother. And once I talked to my niece about it, she went absolutely crazy and found all these other connections for us. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it's looking for ways that you can serve Mm -hmm. and that you can bring people into the family, really. It's that gathering. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Taylor has a quote that talks
0: about the importance of our family relationships, especially. And he says, quoting Joseph Smith, he says, the greatest responsibility in this world that God has laid upon us is to seek after our dead. I mean, uh, the greatest responsibility. It's pretty strong. And then he continues, those sa- saints who neglect it do it at the peril of their own salvation. And so then continuing why this is so important, uh, John Taylor then says, we cannot be made perfect without our progenitors. Neither can they be perfected without us, and they are as much dependent on us as we are dependent on them. He explains a little bit more. We can build temples, they cannot. It is not their province to administer in them at present, but it is ours, and we are called upon to do so. They are interested in our welfare. They are our fathers, we are their children. They are laboring there, we are here, for our mutual salvation and exaltation in the kingdom of God." And I I have no question at all, we talk about the spirit world and the things that we've talked about, that they are interested in our salvation, that, that they really are angels among us
2: who are working towards helping us. My mom passed away about five years ago. And I was on vacation with my sister and her girls. And one of the most beautiful things was that after she passed away, all of us felt that urgency to get our families together. And so my sister and my niece and I had the opportunity to take those names. And when you're taking your own family, there is such a wonderful feeling and experience. And the three of us did it together. And it was probably the sweetest experience that I've ever had in the temple, taking those names through for my grandmother and my mother and her mother. It was a, the most fantastic experience. Temple experience. You talk about
0: family history, and people have stories of family history. that are significant. I I have one that I'll share, and that's that's significant to me. My mother passed away a few years ago as well, and I was in Boston serving um, as the institute director for the church out there. I was driving down at early morning, 5 o'clock, to a seminary class to just go visit, and on the way, I got lost— And I ended up turning a number of weird directions to finally get really lost. I looked over, and there's a cemetery. And I just felt, you know, you've got to go just look at those names. I got out of my car, looked at the first headstone, and it was LeBaron, which was my mom's maiden name. And the next one was LeBaron, and the next one was LeBaron. I went home for Christmas, and I looked at my mom's genealogy. And the last page of her genealogy was searching for the names of the people that I found in a random cemetery in Boston. She couldn't find them. There was no record that was public. And I found it by accident trying to visit someplace. And I just, I, I felt her, her help. I felt her presence. And I, I absolutely knew that God was working for their salvation and they were working for mine. It humbled me that day. And I need to be humble for my salvation.
1: Thank you so much. So this has been a great discussion on the responsibility we have to, to save one another, especially to, to those who have passed on. Let's talk now a little bit about the, the importance of courage.
0: Yeah, so in context of of section 128, you see that right at the end of section 128, this call for Joseph, uh, for for the leaders and the members of the church, uh, where he just simply says, Brethren, shall we not go on in so great a cause? Go forward and not backward. Courage, brethren, and on, on to the victory. I think for, for many of us, that's that's been a fantastic scripture. Many people don't understand that that scripture is coming in context of baptisms for the dead. So then we get in 124, as we talked about before. Um, the Lord reveals then that the importance of the temple and the baptismal work that has to be performed in the temple. It's no longer okay to be doing it in the Mississippi River. Joseph comes back and visits friends here and there, and he actually ends up teaching some of the members of the Relief Society about the importance of record-keeping and baptisms. And that ends up becoming a letter that he writes, what eventually becomes section 127. 127 is going to give us some instructions about the importance of recording and things. And then you get to section 128, and he's going to get very specific. He's going to be really precise about recording baptisms for the dead. He's going to talk about the books being open, and he's just going to go through talking about the proper order of baptisms for the dead and inviting people and helping them understand that it's through the powers of the priesthood that people are going to be saved. It is in that context that he says, brethren, shall we not go forward in such a cause? Or in other words... We need to save our ancestors. We need to save people who have passed on before us. This is the great cause of the Lord. And, and now he's asking for this courage in this work.
1: So maybe we can start in just terms of applying this to ourselves. Um, when have you been courageous in the gospel? And, and what did you learn from that experience? I i know, care if you want to start us off.
2: Oh my goodness, I remember, and this is many years ago. It's going to age me, but I was baptized on May 30th, 1975. And the night before, the missionaries came out and interviewed me to make sure that I was making my commitment. I just want you to know that I've been going to church since I was about 11. And my parents wanted me to wait until I was old enough to really make a good, solid decision. I had heard little rumblings about the priesthood not being extended to every worthy member, but I didn't know that to be true. I hadn't heard anything like that. But it was on that night that they told me this, and I was very hurt I told them right at that point, I'm not getting baptized. I mean, you probably felt lied to. I, mean, I did. That would be so I hurtful. did. It was. A, it felt like a betrayal. Yeah. And I could tell that the missionaries were very discouraged. And the room fell silent because I was so hurt. And one missionary just popped up like a firecracker. And he said to me, Carol, I promise you that when you are ready to be married, every worthy male member of the church will hold the priesthood.
1: This is three years before the priesthood ban was lifted. It
2: was three years before. Mm-hmm. The room went silent, and I'm sure it went silent because they were wondering what he was saying. What, <laughs> what are you are promising you these
0: people? <laughs> yeah. It's been how many years? Yeah. yeah.
2: But the courage of that missionary gave me courage. I, everything hung on his testimony to me. That missionary had the courage to share what he was experiencing. Can't imagine what it was like when he went back to the apartment. Yeah. But... <laughs> And then I, too, had the courage to say, I'm going to hang everything on that. My freshman year of BYU, June 9, 1978, my mom comes running in. Your prophet is on the television. (laughs) And I ran to the living room to hear that announcement by President Kimball. It was life-changing.
0: how did—I mean, this is not necessarily the courage part, but I've got to know, like, how did you feel when you heard this message from the prophet?
2: I I was speechless. I had no words. Not even my mother, who was not a member, was just, we were both like looking at each other in awe (laughs) of what was being said. Thank you for sharing that. That's an incredible story.
1: Additional thoughts. How have you um, shown courage in the context of the gospel? And maybe what did you learn from this experience?
3: I grew up in Sweden and I was the only LDS person in my high school. The only one. And one time, Um, We had a religion class where we were studying different religions and we all had to take that class. And as we got to Christianity, and then there were some pages on the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and it was so slanted. And I can feel my face get redder and redder, but finally I I just raised my hand and I said, this is all wrong. Um, I told him I was a, a member of the church, and the teacher said, okay. I'm going to give you the next class to tell us all about your church. I, there were so many of my classmates who so had so many questions afterwards. There was one student in that class. A few years later, she had moved to the Canary Islands, and there she, the missionaries knocked on her door. She was married by that time. And she, she said to me later, she said, the only reason I let the missionaries in is because I, I knew about you and I knew about the church. And she's got children that are totally active in the church in Sweden. They have nine children, and um, they're doing great. C.S. Lewis
0: has a quote that I, that I love, and I think it fits both of these stories. He says, courage is the form of every virtue at the testing point. Pilate was merciful until it became risky. And, and we're seeing two women here that it was risky. I, I can't imagine how, besides the hurt, the risk that you were taking and saying, this elder has just made me a promise. You must have felt the spirit or something. I'm assuming when you said did. that. I did. And you you risked based upon the feeling of the Spirit that day. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty heavy risk. And he risked based upon the, the teachings of the Spirit for him. That's a pretty incredible story. And yours as well, I mean, to stand up. And interesting that both of you were 15. That's You know, you yep. think of Joseph Smith sometimes in his 15th year. Well, here are two young women doing, frankly, the
2: same thing. And it's actually, I think, a, a really powerful statement of what our youth can do. We would love to hear from some of our youth and young adults. Wouldn't that
1: be fantastic?
2: Yes, it would be wonderful.
1: <laughs> okay, so I I am a convert to the church. So, um I was about 12 years old when the sister missionary started teaching our family, and I just feel like at 12 years old I was faced with a huge decision on whether or not I wanted to be baptized and be a part of the church. And I know that after I got baptized and confirmed a member of the church, I knew that that was the right decision that I needed to make because I've been offered so many blessings from the gospel that I would have never been able to get anywhere else. So I was very happy that I made this choice to become a member of this church
0: because it has blessed me immensely. Did you sisters join the church together? Yes. Same day? Yes.
3: Yes. Wow.
0: (laughs) I have a question, especially in context of what you guys are saying and the influence we have on each other. What influence did you have on each other as you were making these decisions regarding baptism?
2: I think like one night I remember like we were both reading the Book of Mormon in our rooms before bed and like she just turned to me and I was just like what's up and she was just like do you know for sure like what you're reading
1: is true and I'm like yeah like I believe that
2: what I'm reading is true and she was just like well I'm just getting like a strong prompting that like we need to like start taking lessons from the sister missionaries and like think about getting baptized And the first lesson we learned about was also the plan of salvation. So that just brought us so much hope in terms of just this life and the life after. So just overall, this was the right decision that we needed to make.
0: That's awesome, you guys. It's a really neat story. The influence (laughs) you're going to have is so exciting. It's just fun to watch. Thank you for making that decision. Did anybody else have any comments that you'd like to
2: share on courage? Just acting on those promptings that I receive daily, that is how I exercise my courage. That's how I um, just really... Show him the Father that I do trust him. I love President Nelson
0: speaking to millennials, but he was speaking to young adults. He, he makes a statement, pray for courage, right? And I, I look at you guys, we look at you guys and say, here you are, you're, you're being courageous. You're here, you're studying your scriptures. Today's world is not easy. And it's, it is going to require courage. And as President Nelson has talked about, not necessarily in these terms, but it is going to require more and more courage and more and more righteousness and more and more determination to make the right choices and stand firm on firm ground. Thank you so much, Sarah, for sharing that.
1: Yeah. Um, so this has been a, a great discussion on the importance of courage. Let's talk a little bit now about balancing the gospel and life's commitments.
0: In section 126, you see that we're now on July 9th, 1841, and we're in Nauvoo. And then we learn in section 124 of the Doctrine and Covenants that Brigham Young is called to be the president of the Quorum of the Twelve. So now Brigham is home from his mission. He's wondering what he's supposed to be doing. And this revelation comes in context of that. And and I just love it. I mean, at one point he was asked basically to sacrifice everything, leave your family, everything will be taken care of. He had to trust that. And now in section 126, we hear dear and well-beloved brother Brigham Young. I just love that terminology from the Lord. Verily thus saith the Lord unto you, my servant Brigham, it is no more required at your hands to leave your family as in times past. For your offering is acceptable to me. I have seen your labor and toil and journey for my name. I therefore command you to send my word abroad and take a special care of your family from this time henceforth and forever. Amen. It's a very short, you know, three verses, but I think the Lord is teaching an important lesson on balance. Uh, sometimes he requires us to sacrifice all things and to give everything and all of our time and energy to the Lord. At other times, he is asking us to turn our attention to our families. I, I love that Elder Bednar, one time he taught it, he said, if you're saying yes to one thing all the time and no to the other, you're, you're probably not in balance.
1: Yeah, I think we have, to have a video um, regarding this topic.
3: Hello, my name is Victor and I'm from San Diego, California. And this is my wife.
1: Hi, I'm Jessica Hernandez
0: and I'm from Mexico City. Our question is, how can we develop a good plan to balance both our gospel commitments and personal commitments?
2: I think it's a, a really good question because I really feel like there are seasons yeah, And I love that um, Brigham Young was told that his his service was acceptable. I would love to be told <laughs> by the Lord that my service and my work here has been acceptable. And so I think that it's important for us to realize that there are seasons for everything. And this time it was Brigham Young's season to be with his family. And also I think that the Lord was telling us that families are important. And they're uh, a specific part of helping to grow the gospel comes from within that family unit.
1: That's great. Additional thoughts on balancing personal responsibilities and and church responsibilities.
0: So I remember a time a few years ago where we had just gone through a difficult move. I had a daughter getting ready to get married on another continent and he was starting a new job. And I received a very time intensive calling and I just thought, how, how can I do this? And at the time I felt overwhelmed But looking back, I am so grateful, because that is when I drew so close to the Lord. I had to lean on Him. What
1: I was trying to do was impossible. And it helped me realize that everything, my family, my calling, everything, was His work. And He would help me.
0: When I leaned on Him, inspiration just poured in.
1: I love the idea how looking into when you first received the calling, you saw it as almost impossible, and yet when you were experiencing that tension, you realize how productive it was for your relationship with God. It was in that tension that you came to know the Lord and how He guides you. It just makes me think that we're not supposed to know how to balance it because if we did, then we wouldn't have that experience of coming to know the Lord and trying to balance it. Kashay? Yeah.
2: For me, I feel like I've had to remind myself that both work that I do at home or whether it's in my calling or whether it is at work. Um, if I'm trying to be like God and His purpose is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man, I do that in my home by the influence that I have on my family. Mm-hmm. And I do that at work by the opportunities that I take to be courageous when I do talk about the gospel. And I do that on my calling when I am specifically doing a very specific work that the Lord has called me to. And so for me, when I've tried to figure out where and how I need to balance, I've, I've had to give myself grace and remind myself that if it is in line with the purpose I feel that the Lord has for me, whatever it is, it will still fulfill the Lord's purpose of bringing other people to him.
3: Thank
0: you. I think it's also extremely important on this topic, and I I think we understand this, but the importance of not judging other people based upon what our uh, definition of being in balance is right? right? I mean, there are some people who are going to receive revelation for their lives that may look very different than what your life or your expectations for an individual could be there there may be there may be women, for example, who are working and they have children at home or who are getting their education, or there may be maybe men that are staying home with the family and and peop- we have to allow people to be guided by the spirit
2: I, I think that that's so important um to be able to be in a family unit, pray, trust in the Lord, and then have the courage to go with what you've been told. I was a CEO, and I walked away from that job. And a lot of people had a lot of strong opinions about my decision when I walked away to raise my children. I just think it's really important to allow other people to receive personal revelation for their lives, for their families, or for whatever situation they're in, and to be able to move forward and support them in that decision. I remember telling people my entire life that the
0: moment I have children, I will be home. But then in making a decision about uh, adopting our two girls, I had the strongest impression almost at the same time, adopt your girls, but do not leave your work. And it was like just like that. And so these are two examples, and, and you have to be able to, to figure out those decisions. There, there are some things that the Lord is going to teach us and principles that we're going to try to follow generally, but
2: you know the Lord is going to speak to us individually, and we have to learn to hear His voice. And that their pattern may be different, Yeah. and that we need not comment. <laughs> yeah,
0: and in fact, my decision, one of the ways I knew it was right for the Lord is because it was absolutely against what I had already determined to do. So I knew that it wasn't coming from me because it wasn't my desire.
1: So this has been an excellent discussion on balancing uh, the gospel with life's commitments. Thank you so much for your comments and uh, your questions and discussion.
0: Carol, we wish we had so much more time with you. You've seriously been an inspiration. Thank you for being courageous. Uh, thank you for being a, a voice for so many of us in the, in the world. We appreciate
2: that. Thank you for having me.
0: We'd like to thank you also, those of you here in our, in our audience. We're grateful that you are here. We're grateful for your thoughts, your insights.
1: And to those of you at home, thank you for sending us your comments and your questions uh, via social media. We'd love to have you come join us in the studio sometime, but if you can't, we hope you'll tune in next week for a come follow up. Thanks.